When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and we have somewhat a beer and entertainment theme this week. Regular host and Pocket Limp founder Stuart Miles will be here for both our news chat and to review Sky Glass, an all-in-one TV solution that offers the full Sky experience but without needing a satellite dish. I'll also be chatting with the CEO of Pinter about the company's eponymous device that attempts to make home brewing your own beer easier and more accessible, ideal for the holiday season. But first, in a week when Tiger King came roaring back onto our screens, multiple streaming services have dominated the news. Peacock arrived in the UK via Sky, Paramount Plus pulled its Star Trek content from Netflix for a future European rollout, and Disney Plus had its own day of celebrations in the form of Disney Plus Day. Stuart joins me now to discuss the different goings-on. So Stuart, first tell me about Peacock coming to Sky TV customers. Yeah, so Sky is continuing its rollout of trying to support as many platforms as it can. Uh, Obviously, over the last couple of years, we've seen not only Netflix and Amazon Prime Video and Disney Plus, but all of the big TV stations in the US coming up with their own uh, sort of viewing streaming app as well. Uh, And so the latest is Peacock. Now, Peacock is NBC um, Universal. So you're getting things like 30 Rock. You're getting things like House. Uh, and then the office, the American version of the office, parks and recreations, uh, recreation. There's there's a lot of TV shows that aren't necessarily cutting edge, like brand new shows that have still got series to run. But it is a good chance to catch up with all your with all your favourites from like you know Thirty Rock and things like that. I mean, this was a, a, a possibly a surprising move, but also a fairly obvious one in the fact that NBC Universal is also owned by Comcast that owns Sky. So this is actually. Um, excellent for sky customers because it's actually free isn't it yeah it's free it's included uh in the uh in the sky glass uh, sky glass and sky epg um sky q epg uh, so you'll just you can either access it via a pseudo app it's not it's just it's not actually a an app that's in a similar way of like iplayer would be but you can just go in and, and access all the content or you can just start you know pressing you know voice search and say 30 rock or or bates motel or something and off it off it will go uh, as i say the good thing is is because it's its own you know because it's it's all part of that same thing you will get every episode every episode of 30 rock or you'll get every episode of the real housewives or things like that there's also some movies on there the movies are pretty again it's not exactly blockbuster stuff there is the promise of new things coming um but there's some some classic favorites like uh, bird on a wire starring goldie <laughs> horn and mel gibson i noticed also that there are some new peacock originals now this is this is um, a big push for Sky is to have its own Sky Originals, Peacock Originals and other original content coming to the platform. And amongst the Peacock Originals, I noticed that one of the ones coming up in the future is the remake of The Prince of Bel-Air, just called Bel-Air, which is mm. a dramatization. It's not funny. And it's executive produced by Will Smith, not starring Will Smith. But this is this is not a bad thing for Sky customers, is it? I mean, no, I mean, and it's it's certainly something that's it's clearly in their roadmap of of adding this. They've also done a deal with Paramount Plus, 
um, to get all their content on there. So that's kind of effectively, that's all the, uh, the Star Trek stuff. And so, and you'll start to see, and you're already starting to see this, but because of the way li- licensing, and this is where it gets really boring, but because of the way licensing works around the world, different shows have different commitments to different services and, and you'll see them dropping around. We saw this a lot with uh, Disney uh, over the last uh, last couple of years when they were shifting all of their, their Marvel shows off of Netflix and other places to bring them to Disney+. Plus. And we'll see this with things like Star Trek where it will, you know, at the moment it's kind of on Amazon or it's on CBS or it's on Netflix or, or different shows. And I presume what will happen is it'll all merge into Paramount+. Plus. Uh, the good news is, is that platform is also coming to sky so that's a benefit there and sky also announced uh, in the last week or two that they're getting apple tv support as well so people will be able to watch the foundation or ted lasso or, or things like that the problem comes i suppose in in the near future is that it's just trying to remember which service has which show and so it's one of the things that sky's try to uh, try to solve with sky glass for example uh, their new sort of streaming tv service is you know this idea, and, and they'll try and do it with SkyQ as well, is to try and sort of really use those recommendation pages on the home screen to to sort of try and alert you to the fact that this show is here and it's on this channel or this service. Um, because otherwise you just, you know, a lot of the time I use an app called Just Watch where it kind of like, right, where is that? Before I go and search each individual service that I, I subscribe to to be able to, you know, find out where it's supposed to be on. Actually, I'll go back a little bit. Is um, You mentioned the Star Trek stuff. And that was a big deal this week. There was a big sort of hoo-ha over Twitter about the fact that um, Paramount has pulled Star Trek Discovery from Netflix, nor is it put in the new series of Star Trek Discovery on the on the platform. And in fact, while it is now being released in the US on, on TV itself, on terrestrial TV, it's not coming to the UK or Europe uh, until 2022. Mm. However we have discovered that that is going to be on Sky thanks to the Paramount Plus deal, which means that you'll get it actually as no, at no extra cost to your existing SkyQ, SkyGlass or, or other Sky subscription. Yeah, and I think that's, it's, it's that constant battle. If, you, if, you're launching a new, if you're launching a new streaming service, such as like Paramount is with Paramount Plus, you want to make sure you've got all the great content on it to encourage people to sign up to it. And so therefore you're going to turn around and say, well, you know what? We're going to pull it from the other places because we want, if you're a massive Star Trek fan, then we want you to sign up to Paramount and pay us the money to watch it rather than watching it through Netflix to, and then we get a cut from that and, and all the other stuff. So as I say, we saw it with Disney. Luckily, Disney's got enough content through its you know, historical Marvel and Star Wars and, and Disney movies and, and all the shows that it's created to, to be able to get away with that. The question is, is whether Paramount or Peacock or all of these other sort of what I would call tier two services have enough content and enough pull to encourage you to want to watch these things when, you know, how many times you you might find that you watch an episode of Star Trek Next Generation from 20 years ago. But are you going to say I'm going to subscribe £10 a month to, to do that for the next year, two years or whatever? you've got to you know you've got to come on keep on coming up with new content and 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 that and using those ips that you've already got and in fact that uh, leads us on to our last subject which is disney plus day um we we had disney plus day as well in the last yes. week and um and that threw up a hell of a lot of new content that was yeah. that was pretty spectacular from disney um, well, anything I mean, 
Anything catch your eye amongst the lot? I mean, winter's coming to quote Game of Thrones, which is not a Disney title, but it's you know it's the idea where the nights are getting longer, and so therefore you're all <laughs> going to be wanting to watch TV. I think the big thing from Disney uh, and Disney the Disney Plus day was just the sheer extent of to me the sheer extent of the amount of Marvel TV shows that are slated to be coming over the next over the next year. Um, forget the sort of the Marvel universe, cinematic universe with Spider Man and Doctor Strange and all those kind of you know titles that we're we're already expecting if you're going to want to follow up and keep track of of the marvel universe storyline you're going to have to watch a lot of tv it feels like there's like there's there's she hulk isn't there there's yeah uh, the, the moon one there's like there's more so there's just it just seemed to be a lot of shows iron i think iron fist is another one wasn't it uh, uh, iron iron heart warrior or something iron, iron heart yeah. iron heart so um, it just it's one of those things where i think you know if you're if you like that kind of stuff, you are going to be spoiled rotten with great content that's coming, and they all you know they all think. But they they did launch about fifteen shows, and I was just my son and I were just like, that's a lot of TV we're going to watch yeah, in the next I couple agree. of months. So I think that's you know, and that's partly some of the problem we've we've seen. I think what's going to happen on the streaming side of things, certainly from a content point of view, is we've had two years of of everybody being you know mostly at home watching stuff they've probably watched everything they want to watch there was a delay in obviously production for making these things but everybody all of those companies have all said look everybody's clearly enjoying this stuff we're going to make more shows and so suddenly you're going to get a real glut of of shows coming out some are going to be amazing some are just going to be average but there's just going to be i think a lot of people will have that fear of oh my god i've got so much tv to watch because everybody's telling me to watch this episode or that series or that film or, or what have you. And you just, you know, you can't fit it all in. Still to come, we look at Sky Glass, the all-in-one TV sound system and Sky streaming solution that comes dish free. The problem is, is that majority of us have gone through this whole like separate thing with our television, right? Trying to get the best soundbar or the best amp or the best screen or all these different things to make it. As, as good as it can be and you, this will never compete with that and they, they acknowledge Sky acknowledged that Now though with numerous lockdowns shutting pubs at times in the last year or so home brewing has undoubtedly grown as a pastime Newcomers to the world of beer making have dabbled with buckets and yeast to make their own fresh ale but if you were put off by the faff there's a stunningly easy way for you to join the fun Pinter released its first device 12 months ago and has since followed up with the Pinter 2, an easy homebrewing solution that takes relatively no time and comes with its own tap on the front to pour fresh pints. I talked with the CEO of the company, Ralph Broadbent, to find out what drove him to create the Pinter and how it differs from rival beer pouring gadgetry. I started by asking him to explain the Pinter concept. Yeah, so um, it's been quite a journey actually. So, so Pinter... Pinter gives you fresh beer at home. Um, and I think with that, there's probably like three or four really important benefits that come with that. So, um, you know, for people who, who aren't familiar with it, that like beer is not like wine. What Wine gets better with age, uh, or most wine does to a degree. Um, but beer doesn't, you know, 99% of beer starts going off the moment it goes in a can. And, um, you know, it's not a personal viewpoint. That's just a fact. And you could ask any brewer, um, most craft beer cans if you look at the back of them now they'll say drink fresh um it's, it's basically very difficult uh for supply chain reasons for breweries to get you fresh beer um and so uh what the pinter does it allows you to make the beer at home so that so that as soon as it's ready you can drink it and that's how you get the, the freshest the freshest taste and all the freshest flavors so 
from, from that, there's a few big benefits that come out. We ended up being the only beer in the world that could be delivered through letterbox, um, which uh, is really helpful because that, that, that means there's, there's quite a big reduction in packaging. So 17 cans or bottles of beer are replaced by just one fresh press, uh, which is a lot smaller. Um, we're only transporting about 15% of the original liquid, something like that. Um, and it fits through letterbox. And so it's, it's just way better for the environment. So we've only been trading for about a year. And we've stopped about 3 million cans of bottles from going to the waste stream. So in addition to the quality benefits of fresh beer, there's big, big environmental benefits. Um, and we're lucky in the UK that um, making beer at home doesn't carry any duty. So you might expect, you know, something like 30 to 60% of a product customer duty. Depends on the beer and all that sort of stuff. But with this, there's no there's no, um, there's no no duty. So we, we whenever we make a beer, we what, what our approach is basically, we say to the brewers, Right, just make the best beer you can. If you need to use the best hops in the world that, that have been growing for 2,000 years, then, then so be it. Um, you know, we just want the beers to be amazing. So we never think about cost when we develop our beers. We just think about quality. And, and we're able to do that because we're only transporting a fraction of liquid, so it's big logistics savings, but also because there's no duty on the product as well. So the, the consumer ends up with better value. Um, now, you know, we've got a mountain to climb because it's a whole new way of drinking, you know, we're trying to bring to the world. But... Um, yeah, I think that's probably a reasonable assessment of the of the benefits of Pinter. Well, there are other sort of like uh, beer pouring devices that have come out in the last few years. But with Pinter, you deliver the basic ingredients, but already pre-mixed yeah, for so brewing, brewing your beer. And then the Pinter itself is kind of the, um, the, the brewing vessel, if you like. Yeah, so what I'd say the pinter really is, so, 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 so brewing is quite an evolved process and obviously, you know, it takes a long time to become a good brewer. Um, and I, I think probably most of the tricky part of brewing is actually in the creation of the word itself. So you take, you take actually the really raw ingredients or the grain and all that sort of stuff and you mash it up and, you know, um, getting that formula right, is, is, you know, that, that's, a, that's a big challenge of brewing. So, so we do all that all centrally, where we have a team of, you know, sort of master brewers. Um, that's all done centrally. We then, we take out the water to make it transportable. And then when you get it, you add the water back in. And then you do the fermentation yourself at home. So that allows you to get really fresh beer without the risk of getting it wrong, which a lot of that comes in those early stages. Um, and so uh, I, I think what we're trying to do, like this isn't, a, the pint, pint is not a product for like, experienced brewers i wouldn't say although we do have a lot of experienced brewers that use it you know that's not how it's designed it's designed to be something for for, for joe blocks you can have a go at having fresh beer at home for the first time um and and so so so, so simplicity is at the heart of our design so we, we work really hard to always design out any areas of risk um whatever that might be just to make sure you're getting consistent good beer every time but the, the big difference versus the pouring devices are that I mean, the pouring devices, I mean, I always feel like products are good for, you know, most products are good for, you know, different people in different ways. The, the, the pouring devices, uh, they have the advantage that your beer is ready, ready to go. Um, so if you're looking for a beer today, you know, the pint is never going to be the right solution. The pint does require a degree of planning. But the pouring devices don't give you fresh beer. In fact, you'll probably get fresher beer out of can. They're quite long-winded, the supply chains that end up delivering um the, the beer on the pouring devices um you know like the sub for example um 
And, and so they don't have the benefits of fresh beer. So you don't get the environmental benefits, you don't get the fresh benefits, you don't get the value savings. In fact, your beer, if you have a pouring device, is probably more expensive than if you bought it out of a can. Whereas, like, we're the other way around. So we, we have a set of benefits, so you don't get a pouring. Like, I think on the face of it, it feels like the pouring device is similar to the pinter. In some ways, I feel like cans are closer to the pinter than the pouring devices because the pouring device doesn't have the set of benefits that the pinter brings. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that absolutely does. Uh, and and also the pinter does have a handle on it as well, so you, so it's a bit like um, having a cake once you once your uh, fermentation is done. Yeah, so so um, I think I think you know we're quite you know we're, the experience of a pinter is meant to be really special, um, and obviously let people decide for themselves whether they agree with that or not. But we put a huge amount of effort into making sure that you know the beer that you have a, have a pinter is actually just a lot more special than any other platform and. If you like, and I always talk to the team about it, I always say like, if you were having a load of mates over for a barbecue on like a Saturday afternoon and you were drinking, you know, whatever you're into, whether that's Brewdog or Stella or whatever you're into, you know, that's a great experience. You know, you're out with your mates, you're having a load of beers at a barbecue, maybe that's an eight out of 10 experience. But if you're drinking fresh beer that's made by you, it doesn't, it doesn't make the day but it just takes it from an eight to a nine, just like it would do if you're having some mates over and you're having good food, you know? It's not the food that makes the evening, is it? You know, it's the time that you're having with your friends um, and having good quality food makes that experience more special, doesn't it? And I think that's what the pint is about, you know? It's about, and, and the way it's designed to to share it centrally. So as you talk about, you have a tap, so, you know, you're you're, you're engaging with, this, with the pinter and, you know, you're talking about it and you're trying the fresh beer that you've made and, it's just it just enhances those special moments and takes it to the next level. So, yeah. So, so you're you're right. The the handle is a really important feature, and we put a lot of effort into making sure that 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 feels special. You know. Um. There, you've recently launched the Pinter Two, which is a second generation. What's the difference between the first and the second? Yeah. So, um, there's sort of three key things that we did with Pinter Two. So, um, first and foremost, when we talk about beer degrading over time. One of the things that suffers the most is the hops. Um, so, and again, this is just a, a sort of a fact. It's not a personal opinion. Like if you if you were to speak to brewers, and you had a can of IPA that was six months old versus one that's straight out of the brewery, that they will be like chalk and cheese. They will be very different beers because the, the hops just degrade so much over time. And and with pint of one, we were providing stuff fresh, but they were still going through fermentation. And hops don't really like going through fermentation. You know. Um, Really, the ideal thing is to add them post fermentation, but that no one in the world is able to achieve something where you're at your home and you have a freshly hot beer. Um, you know, by a can, you don't add anything to it, do you? So, um, and there were some technical challenges to achieve this because uh, you don't want to let the pressure out, and you know, you don't want to introduce any sort of horrible bacteria and all this sort of stuff. So, anyway, we invented something called a hopper, and that that that's that works with pints too. So you can freshly hop your beer. Um, so after it's fermented, you add the hopper. And the hopper basically has this dosing mechanism that in, injects these hop, these hop oils into your into your beer, and the flavour improvement is, is it's, it's actually really dramatic. You know, is you you physically can't have a beer like that's good at home because you can never achieve those hop flavours in in the home. Um, you know, you know, it's it's, 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 it's it, I I say it's like into a tap room. You know, like I think a tap room will always be the best beer experience you can ever have because. You go to a tap room, you've got the master brewer who's freshly hot the beer and, you know, £10 million worth of brewing equipment, you know. That's all, you know, a decent tap room will always have 
that will always be a really great beer experience. But this is like trying to bring the tap room into your home, um, take all those benefits and bring it into your home. So anyway, so the hopper was a really important adventure for us. We also invented this new tap system as well that um, essentially uh, when you ferment the beer, you produce a load of CO2 and the CO2 sits there in the headspace that helps carbonate the beer. Now with generation one, with pint of one, what you did was when you went to tap, you would, you would open the carbonation dial at the back and that would let the CO2 escape. And the point, the reason you had to do that was because if you tapped under pressure, you'd end up getting a load of froth. And so you, you had to equalize the beer and then you can pour a nice pint. Um, but the disadvantage of that was that as you started pouring, you start letting air in and air is one of the number one en enemies of beer, basically. You'll, it will start to oxidize and your beer will start to go off. So we, so we gave customers seven days to drink their beer. But the new tapping system means that we can pour at pressure. So we, we basically take, um, we take the beer at pressure. It's about, by the time you've conditioned it and stuff, it's about one and a half bar, something like that. And you bring it through two and a half meters of coiled up tube. And the skin friction that's exerted on that as it travels through means that when you when you when it gets to the exit and you're pouring the pint, you're getting a nice pint, even though you pour the pressure. But then as you lose pressure, as you start to tap off the beers, it comes through a, a there's a different exit mechanism that it comes through. So when you've lost loads of pulled eight pints and you've lost the pressure, it's still giving you a nice pint because um, there wouldn't be enough force to take it through the full two and a half meters. So um, this tapping system is really important because it means you never introduce air. And it basically means the beer stays carbonated for longer and, well, and fresher for longer as well. Um, so that's a really important mechanism. And I think probably overall, though, the big thing about Pint of One, the other big thing about Pint of One and Pint of Two was, you know, Pint of One was designed by four of us who had zero product design experience, basically. You know, we just set out to yeah. do something that, you know, we, we probably uh, massively underestimated the project. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> naivety is uh, helpful sometimes, isn't it? Um, anyway, we finally got it to market. You know, as soon as we got to market and customers started using it, we sort of realised maybe these things should have been done. You know, the way the brewing dock clicks on, for example, you know, those kind of features. Um, and, and our team grew really fast. We went from six people to 211 people in like 16 months. It was like, you know, the business really grew very fast. And as part of that, the thing that I was really keen to make sure we grew was the product development team. So we started recruiting people from, you know, Dyson, from the best agencies we could find. And we, we built this incredible team who are far more talented than me or, you know, um, well, maybe not the other designers who worked on it, but certainly me. <laughs> um, you know, they really knew what they were doing. And, and what that ended up manifesting itself as is just a product that's a lot more robust. So when you click the pinter, the brewing dock onto the pinter, that feels 10 times nicer on pinter two than it did on pinter one. You know, when you're using it, it's just much more robust. You know, we, um, it, the lifetime of pinter two versus pinter one is something like 30 times longer. It's, it's you know, because we, we do this advanced circuit testing on it. And it's just, it's just in so many ways, such an enhanced product. And that really stems from the fact that we've got better people working on it, I think, probably. Um, yeah, so there's a load, there's a load of niggles, let's say, that they are ironed out with pinter two that were there in pinter one. Are there other um, ideas for gadgets, not necessarily from yourself, but um, could the brewing industry help um, uh, sort of like grow or, or embrace technology a bit more, do you think? Yeah, a million percent. Like, you know, I, th I think, I mean, we've obviously just had COP26, haven't we? And like, I think, you know, bre brewing is not sat there as like one of the things that's causing global warming. But like, I feel like every industry has its part to play, you know? Like we will yeah. never ever achieve 
net zero or the things we need to achieve if everyone relies on it all it all the all the advancements coming in aviation for example or something like that everyone's got to play their part and i just feel like the brewing industry hasn't really moved along do you know what i mean like you look say brewdog you know all their works actually around offsetting like you know there's a lot of lots of massive building projects that they're doing and things like this which are very carbon intensive and it's brilliant that they're like you know trying to pioneer this space but fundamentally they're still setting out to ship around cans and bottles of beer which are you know i mean i honestly think in 10 years time like you'll look back at this and you'll say i had a glass bottle or a metal can in my home for consuming 330 milliliters of liquid like that's <laughs> nuts isn't it like you know if i if i go to my office today i'll look around every single person would have bought a reusable water bottle to work they'll go to that effort to make sure they're not using a plastic bottle in the office environment and then you might sit at home and sit there you know have some mates there and have a bin bag full of waste you know i, I just think it's uh I just, you know, I think people, I think it'll be like smoking in the office. I think when it gets fixed, we'll look back and be like, I can't believe we were so wasteful. And so, but the problem with the big challenge the brewing industry's got is that they have, you know, billions of pounds of factories that are geared up for doing this. So the idea that you're going to go and turn around and say, actually, we can't be shipping around cans and bottles anymore. That doesn't work. You know, that's just, that just doesn't work with people's business models. And um, and the industries are dominated by big players, so um, you end up with absolutely basically no progress, you know, until someone comes along and says like we're going to try and really do things differently. Um, and I think we're probably quite lucky that um, the world's changing very fast at the moment, isn't it? Like you know, to use that example about plastic bottles in the office, you know, I think five years ago, if I looked around the office, they probably everyone probably would have had a single use container, you know. Um, there's just a big strong movement towards towards doing things in a better way basically and um when i talk to our team about it i just really want us to be the pioneers of of, of how how this problem actually gets fundamentally fixed who, who which are the companies that are invest, inventing the solutions that are going to be fit for a world that you know that is that is actually making a difference when it comes to like climate change and things like this you know um obviously i could never equate us to someone like tesla but like tesla if you think about what they were doing five or six years ago or maybe i don't know maybe 10 years ago it was definitely like they were investing so heavily in r&d and it was almost like you know electric was this thing that people talked about but like now it's like you look at the stats you're like everyone needs an electric car that's going to have to be the future you're not going to be able to buy a non-electric car in the uk in the not too distant future you know um and I, and I feel like the beer industry has its exact same part to play you know and we all need to get together and come up with the solutions, you know, and not rely on, not rely on other industries, you know, carrying the burden. Does that make sense, Rick? Yeah, think. absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Tesla is a, a great example of a company that seemed almost mad when it first yeah. started. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and finally, what's next for Pinter? Yeah. So, I mean, following on from what we just talked about, I think it's about being relentless in the pursuit of innovation. Um, I think what we have today, I'm, I'm really incredibly proud of what we've got today, right? We do some amazing things. It's been so, it's been beyond difficult, <laughs> and we've we've cocked so many things up along the way. I feel like if it could have gone wrong, it probably did. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, th I think we're really really focused on innovating. Really, fo like we're incredibly customer centric as a business. Like we will go above and beyond to look after our customers. And I think when you bring these two things together, 
this like sense that like customers are so important and that we're really hungry to innovate for the future. It's about coming up with products that are that are really, really meeting people's needs, you know, that fit into people's lifestyles. You know, there's no point in us coming up with some elaborate way of making beer at home that no one's got time to do, you know. These products need to fit. People need to enjoy them. People need to love the taste. Like, the beer needs to be world-class. And so what's next for Pinter is to, you know, we're obviously launching Pinter too at the moment, but, like, in the future, we'll launch future Pinters and we'll just, we'll be relentless in trying to make these products better um, until the whole world is basically not using cans of bottles and is drinking awesome fresh beer at home. <laughs> and so we come to our weekly review slot. This time we look at Sky's first television, Sky Glass, which comes with a Dolby Atmos sound system built in and access to Sky services over the internet rather than a dish. Both Stuart and I went to the launch of the product, but Stuart has since been playing with one at home. Stu, what do you think? Yeah, so I've, I've had one in my home for about two, three weeks now. Um, yeah. Um, um, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, let me just say by being really polite and saying that it's the future of television, uh, just not yet. And I think that's the big takeaway here. So for those who've been under a rock and unsure what we're talking about, so Sky Glass is a 43-inch, 55-inch or 65-inch uh, quantum dot television that has... The Dolby Atmos sound speaker uh, sound system built in, and the Sky, effectively the Sky box that you know and love, also built into the TV as well. The big difference here is that it's all powered by the internet, and so you don't have to have a dish on your system. And in fact, when it first turned up, um, the, the delivery guys were like, "Right, we've got to set this up. We've got to plug it in for you because we need to show that the screen is working." You know, it's almost like that, that Hermes delivery yeah. guy where he's like, "We've got to show that it's on your front door." And I was like, well, uh, I wasn't expecting you this morning. So just set it up in my hallway and, and be done. <laughs> and then it stayed there for a, a day or two. Just And I, was, I found myself actually watching TV in my hallway. <laughs> now, the reason I did that was just to prove to myself as well that this literally was, you know, as long as you've got a power socket, then you're up and running. That's it. And that's amazing. And that's, you know, really great. And you, you sign in, you're done. Um, you then sign into all the, you know, the relevant services like Netflix and Disney Plus and and Apple TV uh, is is I was on an early build of that so Apple TV was was available to me as well, um, and and you sign into those and it's all done via uh, like via an evolution of the Sky Q homepage so to speak where it's kind of recommending things to you and, and all the other stuff and 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 off you go so it, there is I think this is where it's all going to go. Um, the problem is is that this is it's first generation and it's kind of day one stuff. And so there were just lots of niggles and forbles that just made it not a great experience. Right. Let's break it down into two sections. Let's um, first look at the hardware mm. itself. Um, the one minor thing I think that I thought during the launch was that it's obviously not a, a very high end TV panel. So, what was the pitch quality like, and the hardware of that side of things? So, I think you've, you've even in your the thing you noticed when you were at the launch, it, it hits the nail on the head. It it's okay, but it's not fantastic. It kind of makes you feel like it's you know if you were upgrading from a TV that's three to four years old, you probably wouldn't notice any difference, um, which is a shame, right? Because I wanted to be you know not the socks off. Everything's a bit grey, a bit washed out. I kind of watched Marvel Endgame, 
And, you know, that really punches. And, you know, there's so many colours going on there. And it just felt a bit a bit wishy-washy, to be honest. And the sound, again, is so much better than you would expect coming out of a TV. But it's it's not it's not amazing. And I think the the problem partly might be mightly be me and I know that's being overly kind here in the sense that you know I've got a Sonos soundbar in my main TV and I've got an OLED I've got a Philips OLED television the picture quality is stunning on the Philips OLED and the sound is amazing through Dolby Atmos on my on my Sonos right so you know I understand that this isn't trying to be that um you know, I kind of I think the really good way of, of saying it when when I was young, I had a mini hi-fi system which had a, a radio, a radio a cassette deck, a CD player, and even a vinyl all built into one thing, right? And the yeah. speakers were all there, and you know that was it was great, right? And it it you know you talk to an audiophile and they'd be like, oh Stuart, why why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. Um, the problem is is that majority of us have gone through this whole like separate thing with our television, right? Trying to get the best soundbar or the best amp or the best screen or all these different things to make it as as good as it can be and you, this will never compete with that and they they acknowledge sky acknowledged that the problem by being a, a mini hi-fi kind of thing is that a lot of people will think that's great that's good enough for me right and as a i think as a 43 inch which is the model i had you know as a bedroom tv it is it's brilliant because it it does what it it does what it does. There's no box. There's no fuss. You know, as I said, put it in my hallway, watching TV in my hallway. bit strange, but anyway. So I think from that perspective, the hardware is okay, but it's not It's not amazing. It doesn't feel like there's a, a jump forward. I, I'm surprised they didn't do like a pro model or a plus model like everybody's doing at the moment where it is an OLED display. You know, and it is just because certainly for the 65 inch, I just think you'd be, you'd be like, oh, okay. I, I think um, price does have to factor in i mean if we're talking about oh, yeah. just just as an example just off the top of my head and being generous a philips oled and a sat and a sonos soundbar would would be close to two thousand pounds whereas the 43 inch sky glass is i mean six six hundred quid something like yeah, that. yeah and it's, it's 13 pound a month so yeah. you know from that perspective that's why i'm saying it's it's good but it's not amazing yeah i and, think i from what i gather from your from reading your review which you can see on pocketlint.com um is that um it's not a device for people who are already that tech savvy no now what's interesting is that you can get if you've got this 43 inch tv in your bedroom say for example you can get the skystream puck which is a set-top box which when we went to the event both you and i thought that's what they were going to do and not go with the tv yeah they were going to go with the this puck that is a smaller it's like a small like apple half the size of an apple tv sort of box that again you just plug in connect to your tv via hdmi cable and you get all the inf- interface of the sky glass you know home page and all the other things on any tv in your house and so um, so how did that work on on a better tv for example yeah so that was again from a like the concept of it is brilliant and so that was really good Right, because you kind of, I've got the benefit of my Philips OLED and I've got the benefit of my Sonos, uh, Sonos and all the other stuff. There are still some some f- uh, niggles within the software that get frustrating. And I think that's, I really do believe that, and this is the second half of the review, so to speak, yeah. is that I do believe that these will be ironed out within the next six months, six to 12 months, because we saw the same kind of issues when we were first testing SkyQ. There was yeah, a, lot absolutely. Of, a lot of problems, a lot of hassles, but you bludgeoned your way through it and now SkyQ is is a fantastic system right really good and I think 
that's also doesn't help that I'm a Sky Q user. So therefore going to this, you know, there were things that I wanted. Um, you know, the good thing about the Sky Stream Park, for example, it's 4K, it's Dolby Atmos. So it's not belittled because it's a it's an extension on the on the house like the Sky Q mini boxes are, which are still only 1080p and, and, and things like that. So the the software though, it's it's you can't record. Um now, I don't see that as a problem, but it means that if you've got, you know, if you've got things that you've recorded from a long time ago because you know they've gone from the service, like um, one of the other reviewers, uh, Janice, I know we're talking about it. They, they've got, they haven't subscribed to Disney Plus because they've got all the Marvel movies when they were <laughs> on Sky recorded on their box, and so they'd lose that, right? Um, you also have to factor in that if you do record something, it's called playlists now. That effectively you're just bookmarking it within that service and so if that's if it goes from that service which we're now seeing a lot more of a prime example of what we were talking about earlier yeah. with with star trek or whatever then you'd lose it from your record you'd lose it from your bookmark your playlist queue here as well um disney doesn't doesn't offer the resume points that when you're when you're watching so if you're watching something in disney via the interface which makes it all feel like it's all part of the interface when you then come out and go back in it you you get booted back to the disney plus homepage, and so then you've got to go and find it again all these things will be fixed um there's already and i can i i feel that they will be fixed because even in the two to three weeks that i've been reviewing it i've had a number of software updates where they've tried to enhance the picture they've tried to solve some yeah. other things they've added some other bits you know all these different things so there's there's lots of stuff still coming but just some, some silly things like I'm when I go to I I found it really hard to just watch live television. Like I'm one of those people that you know at the end of the day maybe I put the kids to bed all the other stuff I just I just want to watch some TV and so you press the button on you turn the thing on and it it then it's like right make a decision I'm like, I I I don't want I just want like how do I get to like BBC One and then I and then I'll work out what what I do after that but just how do I get some TV. <laughs> And so you then, I, I went to BBC One, for example, and then you press the, the channel up button and you have to wait three seconds for the next channel to load. Yeah. And then three seconds for the next channel to load. And I asked them, I said, this is mad. Oh, people don't watch TV that way. And we did it on purpose to force you into doing it this way. And so I'm like, well, that's not how I watch TV. And I think yeah, that's... Yeah, same. I do exactly what you do. I do it's called channel I do, zapping. Yeah. And I, supposedly I do it nobody Sky does Q. it. Sky Q. No. Yeah. So, so I think that's the problem. It's, it's, I think that's why I said at the beginning, it's the future of television. I, there are a lot of things here that I would love Sky Q to have. There's a lot of things I think that will become second nature in the future. But at the moment, it's that first six months of like they're just trying to iron everything out. And I think if you, it's probably best to wait just to make sure that they do rather than taking that blind leap of faith. So that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you find it enjoyable, even illuminating at times. If so, please leave a review on your listening platform of choice. For now, I've been Rick Henderson and I hope you'll join us again soon. Toodle pip!